0: Soul family, and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth, and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and I am sitting in the world's comfiest chair. My neighbors, some neighbors that live downstairs in the apartment building I live, let me not get my white woman on and say my name, (laughs) my neighbors, I don't own them. The downstairs neighbors moved out and they were getting rid of a bunch of stuff and the and they put out this gorgeous, ornate carved, antique chair with like this super funny picture embroidered on it. And it's the perfect height for my office chair. And oh my god, lap of luxury right now. (laughs) I usually work from bed because I'm about that Hashtag chronic illness life, and the bed is the best office, but it's kind of like murder on the lower back, which I have a tendency to, um, has a tendency to hurt me <laughs> in general. So to have a chair, I can sit at my desk, I can look out the gorgeous windows. My dog can't beg me for pets, which uh, if you've been a listener for a while, you know that my dog Jake, he's like, psh, 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 he's making a bed on the couch as we speak. Um, He loves to interrupt the episodes and come do mouth noises in the microphone or hit my hand and make me pet him. And now I get to just, like, bask in my aloneness, in my comfy-ass chair. My back doesn't hurt. It's chef's kiss. So, welcome. Thank you for coming into this space. I would like to remind you that if whatever... um, Platform you're listening on, you can click to subscribe to the podcast and you can get notified when I post new episodes. So if you haven't done that yet, go ahead and do that for me. You can also rate and review this podcast to get to boost me up in the algorithms and (laughs) get me some more listens because daddy needs some income. Um, Silliness aside, we're doing a little bit of a heavy episode today. I think I'm going to make this a two-parter. So this week, we're talking about the traits of adult survivors of childhood abuse. So this week, I'm just going to talk about the traits. As always, I'm going to talk about some examples from my own life and the ways that if you endured or survived childhood abuse, you might see yourself reflected in some of these traits. They are... Um, well, let me talk about how I got here. So <laughs> I, last week, I decided to crack open a book called Adult Children of Alcoholics by Janet Geringer... Woditz. And this book was written in the 80s. She is like a, a doctor of psychology. She had a bunch of clients and like a bunch of support groups. A lot of these self-help books written by people who are like therapist adjacent have a lot to do with just like treating people and helping people in support groups, in one-on-one sessions. And seeing the patterns of behavior in people who had similar experiences growing up. As I was reading this book, however, which was very mind-blowing. I mean, I've read so many self-help books at this point that (laughs) I love them. They're so helpful. They've literally saved my life. But I've read so many at this point that it's just kind of like further validation. Like they don't really bring me a lot of new information. But as I was reading this one with the traits spelled out and the examples in the text, I was like, this actually applies to more than adult children of alcoholics. I feel like this list applies to anyone who grew up abused at all, like emotionally unavailable parents, parents emotionally immature parents, parents with certain untreated mental illnesses. And of course, there's always a co-occurrence of all of that and substance use. So, you know, it's, it gets to be like, uh, <laughs> not a gray area, I guess a gray area. It just gets to be like, what is what after a certain point, you know? <laughs> Cause like, I can definitely say that there's a lot of, untreated, like bipolarity in my family, untreated, just like severe trauma, um, but they, in those same people, in those same circumstances, there is substance use and abuse. So, or just you know, pretty severe dependence on substances. And just, I know that we're all just trying to get by, you know what I mean? And self-medication is a thing. I've done it in my life. You know, if you don't have access to the proper resources to properly take care of yourself, then what do you do? You know, you have to survive, you have to keep living. And sometimes substances can facilitate that coping. And as with all addictions, you know, they don't start out as problems. They start out as just like fun or lightheartedness or escapism or distraction and eventually spiral out to a place of like actual harm created in your life. So even if your parent wasn't an alcoholic, um, I think this stuff is relevant. So if this is something you're interested in and, and you would like to hear more, you'd like to like Further explore it, I highly recommend this book. It's written very lovingly, very gently. I will warn you, there is some like weird stuff about weight. This happens so much in the self help world where like people equate being fat with like you know uh side effects of trauma, and they talk about it as like a thing that needs to be healed, so that is kind of icky and antiquated and like frankly wrong, but <laughs> that aside. Uh, It's also very heterosexual, as are most of these self-help books, because I think that these people just, you know, straight people just forget that queer people exist. They assume that everyone is straight. They, They just like are plugged into the status quo in that regard and don't consider or write about the point of view of queer people. So those things aside, I highly recommend this book. There's a list in the book of 13 traits, and I will talk about those, explore those, use examples from my own life. And then next week, we'll talk about how to get into and heal and correct these behaviors or belief systems. So it's going to be a two-part episode. And then from there, I think I'm going to go into whole episodes around specific points made in these traits and characteristics. So without further ado, let's dive right in. So um, as I said, this is all written from the point of view of adult children of alcoholics who all carry these similar traits, but I would expand it further to say that all traumatized adult Like all adult survivors of childhood trauma in general do tend to carry these traits. Not all will resonate. Some will resonate more than others, but in my experience, these are spot fucking on. So the first one is adult children of alcoholics or adult survivors of childhood trauma guess at what normal is. So you don't know, you have no idea what normal is. I thought when I was young that all adults were alcoholics. Even the family members I had that weren't alcoholics, I thought they were. I thought anyone I ever saw holding a beer bottle was an alcoholic. I thought that all grown-ups were alcoholics. All grown-ups smoke cigarettes. (laughs) And I thought that all children had chaotic households. It wasn't until I went out into the world and I had friends outside of my very close-knit group of friends, because honestly, all all of my cousins had very similar upbringings to me, and all of my close friends who lived, I lived in this like cul-de-sac, like this little court, and all of my close friends had chaotic households with alcoholic adults, and and suffered childhood trauma, like to varying degrees of severity, and like you know, not everyone experienced sexual abuse, not everyone experienced physical abuse, but most experienced at least a couple different kinds of abuse, which is pretty, um, for lack of a better word, normal in households like this. Like usually it isn't just emotional abuse, although (laughs) sometimes it is. And just is not to minimize. Like we all know that emotional abuse is just as difficult to recover from as physical abuse or sexual abuse and usually they go hand in hand so guessing at what normal is is exactly what I was talking about like first of all assuming that everyone lives how you live and I experienced this like way into adulthood I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast before but I in my late teens and early 20s When I was much younger, I was very secretive. And I want to get into this in its own episode, but, and I'll talk about it here too as I discuss this list. But I was raised by a family that had a very like cult like sort of mentality, which is that like what happens in the family stays in the family. You do not share our secrets outside of you know, our group, like you don't tell anyone about what happens here. Like we keep it to ourselves. We handle our own. And so I was very like secretive and it made me, I was already a pretty quiet, shy, like keep to myself kid, but it made me even more so that because I felt this responsibility very early on to put on a face of like a healthy, happy kid perfectly well behaved, like never calling attention to myself, because I felt this responsibility to uphold the charade of everything being okay. And, and I didn't realize that that wasn't normal. So as I got older, I would like, tell these stories from my childhood or from my life as if it was, you know, a joke, like something that my family laughed at something that we had to like make funny in order to cope and and not admit how bad it was. And I would watch the faces of the people I was telling these things to kind of change, you know, these looks of like shock and then pity or just like embarrassment, like cringiness. And I would feel like I was dying inside. Like I mean, I I would get to a point where I'd be like, can you just fucking laugh? Like, obviously, I'm laughing at it. Can you just like not make me feel like a fucking freak as I'm telling this to you? But as I've gotten older, I realized that like my normal wasn't everyone else's normal. And what I have, what I am able to laugh at sometimes is like extremely dark for a person who grew up in a normal household. And it's just, it's taken me a really long, I mean, I'm 34, you know, it's taken me a really long time to understand. And that's a very jarring way to find out that you don't know what normal is. <laughs> but I think that that's a pretty similar or like a pretty universal experience, especially for, for people who do cope with humor. Like you you just don't understand I think you like cope so long that you kind of forget that you're coping and you just become the humor part. And then you have to deal with people's reactions to what you're saying. That specific phenomenon doesn't happen to me too much anymore. Um, Because the more aware of the fact that I was traumatized I become, the less I have to guess at what normal is. Because like through therapy, that's why therapy is so huge, because especially if you have no one to talk to or if you only know other traumatized people, which I think is pretty normal, traumatized people kind of like gravitate towards other traumatized people because it's really hard to like be close to someone who has no idea what you've been through when you're unaware um and also like I still really like wounded people I like wounded people that are healing but I prefer wounded people to people who have led like pretty charmed lives because I feel like we're just so far away from each other's Ability to understand one another, like you just—I <laughs> mean, okay. So a, a friend—I won't even say friend—a former acquaintance of mine recently posted a thing. Um, I won't get into the details, but it was basically like, uh, like a classified ad for band members, and they were like, no one with a martyr syndrome, like no one who's obsessed with their childhood trauma. And first of all, it felt like a dig at me personally. <laughs> maybe it wasn't, but it felt like it was, but that is so clearly a take from someone. First of all, that's not what martyr means, but that's such a take from someone who ha- doesn't have that much trauma in their lives, you know, to be annoyed by someone who who is publicly working through their own childhood trauma and like tending to themselves in that way. And even if it's not about me, like people who are aware of their childhood trauma like you have no choice but to be obsessed with it 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 rules your every decision of life that you make it rules every step you take on this planet like it is a constant like full-time job to tend to that wounded part of you you there's so many triggers like there's so much just life is much harder you start way further behind than everyone else and so like to become aware of that, to make yourself aware of that and to work on it and heal it and then to to spread that healing outwards, to give that gift to other people is like, that's not a martyr. That's someone who's like taking care of themselves. So that's what I mean. Like someone who hasn't been through even like a fraction of what I've been through, I do have a hard time relating to them and they have a hard time relating to me. They get sick of hearing about it. And I'm like, I get sick of talking about it, man. But like... <laughs> This is where I'm at. Um, So guessing at what normal is, is confusing and you're, it's triggering because as you guess, you often get it wrong. And then you have these, these reflections, these very clear reflections of other people's experiences that show you how not normal it was. Oh, that's what I was getting into. That's why therapy is so helpful if you have no one else because, oh, that's what I was going to say jumping around. I've had a lot of caffeine today, kids. (laughs) Uh, I have dealt mostly with traumatized people. Now I, I choose people who've been traumatized who are healing and working on it. But previously I chose people who were wounded and really content to stay wounded. Or not stay wounded isn't the right way to put it, but like they just weren't working on it. They thought that nothing was wrong with them. Like they were not aware of of the harm that they caused in being wounded and not tending to it and not addressing it. And so when I was trying to work on it, like they were not really, they were very resistant to coming with me on this journey. So I got into therapy and even just to like me explain something and have someone who I trusted, who was very objective, be like, I'm so sorry that happened to you or, like, that's really not okay, was huge. I mean, first of all, triggering to be seen in that way and triggering to have to, like, hear that what I went through wasn't normal, but it was my recalibration tool to redefine for myself what normal was and, like, and to move forward with that new information. Number two... Um, difficulty following a project through from beginning to end. I mean, not even to get into the co-occurrence of ADHD or ADD and childhood trauma, but also uh, like an impulsivity, a lack of follow through, the mountain of self-doubt The lack of support, the lack of a positive role model of seeing someone like show you the example, set the example of following through on things. Like, I mean, the, think of like the absentee, like divorced parent who's like, oh, I'm going to pick you up on Saturday. I had, I briefly helped raise a little cousin of mine who's 10 years younger than me because his dad, my uncle was in jail and his mom was kind of a loose cannon And so he lived with us when he was in kindergarten and first grade. And I was like, you know, I would say responsible for about like 30% of his care. And every Saturday, his mom would call and be like, I'm coming to pick you up. We're going to have a day together. And all every Saturday, that little baby would stand by the door staring and just wait and wait and wait and wait. And she would show up like one out of every 10 times, if that, like it was so sad and what that does is it sets you up for like disappointment it sets you up for unreliability it sets you up for it just does it shows you that like words mean nothing promises mean nothing like follow through is not promised and we internalize that you know that's the way we get used to living until eventually we like kind of get wise to oh, I should have no expectations or, oh, I should have no trust or, oh, I should not, you know, I should, no one's ever going to show up for me. You know, we start telling ourselves these stories and it really kind of breaks down what naturally occurs in you. And for me, like, I mean, they're related, but I'm related. I'm just like an example of how the adults around you interact with you and like and the the kind of example that they're showing you like how you live your life how life is lived how things happen like how life the unfairness the injustice of life and like the hurt like you're introduced to hurt so early and so uh, like the self-doubt the lack of trust, the lack of support, like you can't go to anyone and be like, hey, I want to accomplish this thing. Can you help me? I talk a lot about in just like my life, like (laughs) this concept of nepotism or like, or rich people, like people whose parents have money to get them dance lessons and singing lessons and acting lessons and take them to California and get them cast in Disney shows. And then they win a bunch of Grammys because Taylor Swift writes half their album. (laughs) Um, Olivia Rodrigo uh and uh I mean Jack Antonoff helps create your first album and everyone's like wow what a prodigy it's like okay spare me but (laughs) that's why I like harp on this so much because it's like some people don't even have like a parent that's like I see your talent never mind the money never mind the resources like they don't even have parents that look up from their own self-centered experience to even acknowledge the existence of their kid let alone resources so like you have no one believing in you you have no support you have no one setting the example you have no idea these are things that you have to teach children you have to teach children responsibility you have to teach them empathy you have to teach them follow through you have to teach them focus and attention You have to teach them how to, like, persevere when things get hard. You have to encourage them and nurture a self-belief and, like, self-confidence in them. And if they're just left to their own devices, and in fact, you show them through example, like, that nobody believes in them, that they have no help, that they have to figure it out on their own. Like, that's why so many kids who grow up after being abused in childhood, like, end up not really um, accomplishing much or like having dreams and then sort of through self-sabotage or not trying or, (laughs) or whatever circumstance don't get very far and then grow up to be resentful and having to numb. And it's like a tree grows in Brooklyn. You know, that book, like the, the dad really wanted to be a musician, but because life got in the way he couldn't and he ended up being just like a terrible alcoholic and, traumatizing his children and um and his wife and you know like that sadness becomes generational trauma and so the lack of follow-through I think is a combination of impulsivity um a lack of understanding how to follow through with something and like circumstances not being (laughs) right in order for follow-through to happen and the self-sabotage that comes with trauma where like, you don't feel worthy of success. You don't feel worthy of achievement. You don't feel worthy of achieving a goal. And, and so things get in the way. Next is, (laughs) this is a big one. Um, lying when it would be just as easy to tell the truth. So I, when I was a kid, I'd be like, I'd go to my sister and I'd be like, I just lie about stuff. And like, I don't know why I lie, but like, I just lie and it's stuff that doesn't even matter. And I just find myself like lying and (laughs) she would be like, me too. I don't get it. I don't know what it is. And you know, I, the truth is very important to me, as I mentioned in my last episode, like being autistic, things are, have been very black and white in my life. And like, I have a very strong moral compass. And so like, if I got in a fight with my sister and I hit her really hard and an adult came and was like, what happened? I would be like, well, she did this. And then I smacked the shit out of her. And then it would be like, okay. So I wouldn't lie up to get out of trouble necessarily. Although sometimes I would, I mean, everybody does, but yeah, just like, just, (laughs) I don't know. I can't explain it. Maybe you can relate to it. Just like lying when it would be just as easy to tell the truth. Like, <sighs> I don't know, man. Um, this reminds me of like work. I have um on a list I made when I was trying to remember these traits and I was thinking about authority figures and how like, um, how issues with authority are very common for survivors of childhood trauma, especially when you have an an abusive or an authoritarian, a controlling kind of adult in your life. You know, someone very punitive, someone very toxic in that way, someone very controlling, and someone very, like, emotionally unavailable except for the emotion of rage. (laughs) And you you get a real chip on your shoulder about it. And like, sometimes it expresses itself very externally where like, you get really angry and you fight back and you like yell and scream. And like you rage out, like you become scarier than the scary monster who put that wound in you in the first place. Or, and I've had both reactions in my life, or you cower, you know, you, you get really scared, you get really triggered, you try to people-please and be as invisible and gentle as possible as you wade through the world. But I think another reaction that that both of these, uh, I don't know, it's kind of in the middle, Like it's not cowering and it's not <laughs> raging, but it is avoiding responsibility through lying. So like putting it off on someone else or pretending you didn't do something you did or, you know, and... <laughs> And sometimes it's like you wouldn't even get in trouble. Like it's not even something that's that important. You just find yourself lying because that's what you had to do to survive. You know, you had to lie for your parent. You had to lie to them about stuff that happened. You had to, I mean, in some cases I watched my adult family members like lie to authorities, lie to police, lie to the guidance counselor, counselor, lie to teachers, even lie to The children about like gaslight us about what we had been through. And I think that the dishonesty of that toxic loyalty of the cult mentality of toxic families just sets you up for like not really living in a place of truth, not living your own truth, not expressing your own truth, not admitting to how the situation that you're living in is affecting you, protecting the family at all costs, even at your own. detriment and your own lack of safety like that's just the way it works and it's like you know (laughs) if you're living with someone who's like so clearly an alcoholic but they've never admitted they have a problem like that's a lie it might be the kind of lie of like the two of swords in the tarot like where you're blindfolded and your arms are crossed in front of your chest so you're like i don't want to see the truth it's like a kind of denial but denial is a denial of truth right a denial is denying reality and denying reality is a kind of lie it's not necessarily a malicious lie it's not necessarily you know done on purpose or uh, I don't know it but it is still a lie and I think the secrecy of these kinds of families and and the way that everyone lies to everyone else and the way that like people try to protect children from the truth with lying. And I don't know, like it's it's hard to find the right answer when you're going through this. And the other adults going through, like loving someone who is has addiction issues um, is tough, it's traumatizing and it hurts you. And li- loving someone who is, unstable in one way or another, like we all endure trauma in our lives and in these kind of group dynamics, like there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of fear and and most of the time it's generational issues. So it's not like people in the previous generation had resources or information or like have really explored and tried to heal and stop these cycles, you know, like they're just doing the best they can with what they have. But, and that's where the denial happens, right? Like they're in denial about their own situation and then that gets spread around to everyone involved. And then as a child, you get really used to living in a place of dishonesty. You get used to being gaslit. You get used to having your reality denied. You get used to pretending everything's okay when it's not. You get used to keeping up appearances. And so like, if you find yourself being someone who who struggles with telling the truth like forgive yourself understand that that's how you had to be that that's how you were taught to be and and release the shame around it but like work on it try to fix it there's nothing wrong with your truth there's nothing wrong with telling the truth there's nothing wrong with making a mistake there's nothing wrong with <laughs> being flawed there's nothing that's so bad you can't fix at least not internally, you know, if you're, if you feel too far gone, like you've done something that you can't come back from externally and you have to just like move forward with your life, that's okay. Like wherever you are is okay. All you have to do is start telling a truth, one little truth at a time, and it'll get easier and you'll get used to it. Um, right now we're going to take a little bitty ad break, but I'll see you on the flippity flip. (laughs) Bye. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production. Flight of the final girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run. Don't walk it's flight of the final girl anywhere books are sold if you didn't fast forward through (laughs) that ad for my book flight of the final girl if you're interested in my specific traumatic childhood that is a book of poetry i wrote through the lens of horror um about my childhood trauma and there's a lot of stuff like about lying about addiction about instability about gaslighting and about how these patterns have followed me through my life up until maybe six years ago Uh, 10 to six years ago six to 10 years ago (laughs) I love when you do things backwards you're like that feels wrong even though it's like 10 to six years ago is like technically Right, but it's just like you're supposed to start with a small number. So you're like, I don't know why that, that feels uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so let's get back into it. Uh, judging yourself without mercy. So this goes back into that self-doubt, like low self-esteem kind of vibe. It's also that thing I always talk about of that self-flagellating voice of the ego, When we're kids and you're dealing with someone who is abusive in one way or another or many ways, there is a criticism, a constant stream of criticism coming your way to the point where like you can't move, you can't breathe, you can't act, you can't do anything without being criticized and depending on how volatile the person was, that may have gotten you like hit or locked away or just abandoned or rejected like a lot of pain came with this criticism and i think that it's really important to understand how much we become like the words we say to each other if you're interested in this go back and listen to my mindful communication episode but the words we say to each other become the dialogue that plays in our own minds and I, it's really important to me to, to not be someone that puts negative, that negative talk into someone's head. I want to be like someone who puts positive talk into people's heads. I don't want to contribute to the barrage of self-abuse that goes on within people's egos, right? But our parents are the ones, the initial ones who are responsible for that dialogue. So like like I said, you're supposed to be building your children up, you're supposed to be teaching them how to love themselves, you're supposed to be helping them cultivate confidence within themselves, and if you're not, if you're just criticizing them, if you are if you hate them, if you feel contempt towards them and resentment towards them to the point where you can't extend a loving thought or word their way, that becomes their inner monologue and that you show them how to feel about themselves. You show them what kind of treatment they're supposed to expect from others. You show you show them everything. You teach them how to be a person. And if you're teaching them that like they're unworthy of love because you don't love them or that they're not worth time because you don't pay attention to them or that, you know, I mean... I have talked about this before, but the BoJack Horseman episode called Stupid Piece of Shit is, it explains this exactly. Like, it's so on point that it's almost, like, hard to watch. Where, like, you see from his childhood to his adulthood how his inner monologue became as toxic that it is, as toxic toxic as it is, and you live in his head and you hear the way he speaks to himself and it's very unkind and it it hurts your feelings to watch but i also remember like it's so accurate to how i used to speak to myself and i've heard other people who live with childhood trauma um express the same thing that it feels very close to home um you have difficulty having fun (laughs) i've talked about this in episodes before how like if I didn't grow up, if I wasn't like left to my own devices <laughs> to such a large degree and I hadn't created community with my cousins and with the children that I grew up with who were like all around a similar age to me, if I hadn't had that community, I I wouldn't know how to have fun. Those other children taught me how to have fun, but I was a very serious, very sad, very withdrawn child. I was hyper responsible from a very young age and I'll get into responsibility and how that plays out in a second but I really didn't understand how to have fun um I just my grandma always used to say to me which is something her grandma used to say to her you know you carry the weight of the world on those shoulders and I really did um I even to this day like I used okay Let me rewind. So, I remember in high school, I had this friend, middle school and high school. She was like my best friend for a while until she kept trying to steal the boys that I was into. And I eventually had to like, distance myself from her because what the fuck but she was like a very carefree person she was so funny she was so fun she was like so free and anytime I was around her I would like laugh at her and have fun with her in that way like just being around her she was really funny and she made me laugh but like I didn't know how to let loose like she did it would take me of into a hang to like let loose enough to start having fun and I was never as free as her I couldn't like dance like her I couldn't like be silly like her I didn't know how to like make funny faces I just like wasn't ever a kid and there's this you look at pictures of me as a child and there's just this like heavy cloak of sadness and I mean what do you expect like children are supposed to be free if they're secure they're like silly and funny and they lack a certain self-consciousness that children who grew up traumatized carry with them um just this fear of standing out this fear of being criticized i mean my family are such bullies like if anyone did anything like i had a friend once who was a little chunky you know she was like you know like some kids are just like a little on the chubby side it's very cute I would never think to like make fun of a child a literal child's weight but I was sitting at a picnic table with my family and this friend was jump roping and they were like oh it's about to be an earthquake or so some kind of fucked up shit like that and at the time I was like oh I better never jump rope in front of them you know like you just you just internal like you see it happen and you're like, oh God. And so it makes you self-conscious. It makes you afraid to try. It makes you assume that everyone's judging your weight all the time or judging whatever thing about you that's different or standing out or you know, whatever. It just you just learn that the world is kind of toxic and mean and judgmental if you grow up with those kinds of people. And you either go one of two ways. Like either you become like them as a means of protection and you become a perpetuator of that kind of toxic way of being or you withdraw and you try to keep yourself safe by being invisible and not trying and never standing out or to the the other extreme super duper conforming you know trying to become as like perfect and acceptable and uh and what's the word like um, I can't think of the word. I keep thinking of survivor. There's like a word they use on survivor. Um, immune as immune to judgment as you can possibly get by being as close to perfect as possible. So it just becomes really hard to let loose because you feel like you're going to be punished. You know, I think the instability of these kinds of parents, like, make you a little afraid to trust the fun because you know at any minute the other shoe's gonna drop and and it's not gonna be fun no more you know (laughs) and um yeah so this is just sort of out of alignment with fun which is really sad if you think about it um and you have to kind of learn that's why i love inner child work because i can get in touch with my inner child and remember how to have fun and i can like draw without needing it to be good or dance without needing anyone to like see it or for it to be you know like I just can express myself my my partner and I she brings out the inner child in me and I think I do the same in her and we'll like read tongue twisters while we're doing dishes and really laugh hard or like (laughs) make silly faces at each other or we just play and it reminds me how to have fun and how to have fun sober and how to have fun responsibly and it's so nice and so healing and i do i really resonate with that struggle to have fun um this is along the same lines but you may take yourself very seriously and i think this is again a kind of like a protective layer we put on ourselves because of that bullying because of that meanness because of the harsh criticism and judgment that we endure And because like any kind, anything that feels like a criticism is really triggering. And, you know, when I talk about like laying boundaries with people or like trying to, to facilitate a conversation where they can take responsibility when they've done me harm and they get really defensive and they really like go on the attack instead of, (laughs) instead of having a productive conversation, I do understand that the reason why they can't is because they're taking themselves so seriously because they're protecting themselves because they've never had, um, they've never been shown how to take responsibility without feeling overwhelming shame. And I do like understand that. And I do have patience and like, and a lot of love and, and just like compassion for that. But I, I, that is something responsibility taking and like an open, honest dialogue is something that I require in my relationships. So I do put distance between myself and those people who have that kind of reaction, but it doesn't mean that I judge them for being that way. Like I understand where that comes from. And I've been that way in my own life before. I just think it's important to work on instead of thinking that you're right all the time um but taking yourself very seriously I used to get embarrassed like oh my god if I had to like walk across the room in swishy pants my face was bright red you know to sharpen my pencil or whatever like if a teacher uh called on me and I didn't know the answer like if someone (laughs) I don't know I was so just like wound so tight and so scared of being made fun of and so just like ashamed. I just carried so much shame in my body that like anything could set it off, like the smallest thing. And I've had to learn how to like, you know, it's funny with my confidence came my ability to make fun of myself without it hurting, you know, with my acceptance of my flaws came an ease of laughing at myself and not taking myself so seriously. And It's so funny how that happens. Like, (laughs) you are just able to relax once you understand. Like, I'm flawed. Everybody's flawed. You know, I have little quirks about me that might get on people's nerves or whatever. (laughs) Uh, But the healing facilitates that ease of being. And before that, I feel like it's just you're just on guard all the time. And and you also like carry with you all these feelings of of being unlovable of you know, just a uh, an acclimation to instability, a, an adaptability that is really like survival mode. And there isn't much room for joy, there isn't much room for laughter, and there isn't much room for an ease of being. Um, you may have difficulty with intimate relationships. I mean, it's like, duh. <laughs> if your relationship with your parent figure, with the adults that, you know, created you or raised you if your early relationships are unstable then your grown-up relationships are going to be unstable just you don't know any other way of being I mean (laughs) I was definitely my most toxic at like 18 19 like you're you're technically an adult but you don't have the tools (laughs) not communication tools not Uh, understanding jealousy not understanding anything how love even works or how it's supposed to feel you're attracted to your most toxic person at that age like the most clear manifestation of your childhood abusers at that age like it's it's just a shit show for a little while and that's because you don't know any better like you you haven't experienced better you don't know better And I think that it's really fascinating that people, adults who were abused children, um, almost always like are attracted to other abusers, are almost attracted to people with addiction issues or just people that need a lot of like help and healing and uh, people who are very demanding, very challenging. And this is across the board, like bosses, job situations, uh friends, partners, like across the board. Like everyone is difficult. Everyone is stressful. Everyone is further traumatizing. Everyone requires you to self-abandon. There's not a lot of like boundary laying. There's not a lot of honesty. There's not a lot of vulnerability. There is usually a giver and a taker. And even people who are takers, like even the takers that I've had in my life, somehow manage to to be givers to people even more demanding than them, you know? So it's just this like, (laughs) I don't know why she swallowed a fly type of thing where like it just gets worse and worse and worse on every level and no one's getting their needs met and no one is experiencing stability. No one is experiencing the love that they need, you know, the healing love that they've longed for their whole life. No one is getting that. And everyone is just getting further damaged. And, you know, I've seen it happen in my own family. Like, if you go a certain amount of, you know, a certain, if you walk a certain distance in your life, not healing, not healing, not healing, making the same mistakes, repeating the same cycles, I feel like you do get to a place of like cynicism where almost like a piece of your soul falls off. Like, you just you just can't come back from it not that not that there's any point where healing is not possible but i do think you get to like a certain amount of exhaustion and a certain amount of like acceptance of the terrible that you become so cynical that you don't even believe that better is possible and that's why it's so important to tend to it when you get the inclination to, you know, and to like stick to it or at least to like tell the universe, if I get off course, like please bring me back in a beautiful way. Um, because you don't want to get to that point where you're like, I'm too far gone. I'm a lost cause because no one is a lost cause, you know, (laughs) but there is a certain amount of pain that one can carry, when they've been abandoned and they've been abused and they just like carry on those patterns past the point of no return you may overreact to changes over which you have no control so like you know i uh i i have been honed into a very adaptable person despite being autistic and like You know, autistic people have a hard time with changes and transitions, but I, um, so this one doesn't totally resonate with me, but I can see how it would be the case, you know, how you would become very controlling of your environment, of your life. Um, this reminds me of like, you know, OCD being a little bit of a, like an extreme, manifestation of this. We're like, you just want to control your whole environment. You just want to make sure to keep yourself safe. You're just protecting yourself in the only way you know how by being rigid you know like if I if I change one thing it's all going to fall apart and that again comes from the stability of the trauma or the lack of stability of the traumatic situation it just comes from like feeling like your life and your mental health and your stability and your happiness is like one Jenga block away from falling <laughs> and adaptability is like a definitely a uh, um uh, a superpower in my life, like whether it's being homeless or, or just having things go disastrously wrong. Like I just kind of go with the fucking flow. But I also think that that has a lot to do with my own ability to like disengage and like shut down emotionally. And that's not a good thing either (laughs) because that just leaves me to have to deal with the emotional fallout later. Um, so it's, you know, we all deal with it in different ways, but to understand, like that's where the serenity prayer comes in. Like allow me to change the things I can to, um, and to release the rest. You know, if I can't change it, I have to understand that I have no control over it and then I just have to accept it. And that's it. Like it sucks and it's not fair and it's super hard. (laughs) much easier said than done. But that is how you get to a place where you don't respond um, in an overreactionary, overly reactionary way when things are out of your control. But that necess- necessity for control, I mean, I guess one way that I've manifested this is by like striving for perfection to the point where like, every perfectionistic trait that a person can have down to like eating disorders and stuff like that I had I mean I had a nervous breakdown when I was 16 because the pressure of high school was too much for me like very tightly wound Um, but that desire for control is totally normal it's totally understandable it's like children who grew up extremely poor will sometimes grow up to be like food hoarders because there, there's a fear in them that they won't have what they need. You know, we all cope the best way we can. And we're all just trying to take care of ourselves. And like, that's okay. <laughs> um, seeking, constantly seeking approval and affirmation. This is a big one for me. And I so rarely get it. <laughs> I think it's like the thing, you know, when you're like rich and people are like, here's free clothes, here's free products, like here's all this free shit, blah, blah, blah. Let's pamper you and take care of you. And when you're poor, you can't even get like, you can't catch a fucking break. Every single thing, every single tiny thing costs money. It's like that. It's like when you don't need affirmation, when you're like confident and secure in yourself, when you're like not, when you don't really need that much, when you're like, yeah, that's nice, but I don't need it. You get so much of it. It's like when you're not looking for love and suddenly you have all these suitors, when you're like, I'm done with dating, or if like, as soon as you get in a relationship, suddenly everyone who wouldn't pay you any attention before comes sniffing around. It's like, oh, that's that law of attraction bullshit. <laughs> but uh, when you need it, when you're like, God, I could just like really use some approval and some affirmation and validation, it's like crickets. It's so unfair. And there's nothing wrong with it. If you didn't get it in childhood, it means that your cup is extra empty, like it's super dry. And you you need some sustenance. You need some you need some love. You need some light shined onto you. You need to like know you're doing okay. And I don't again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think all humans need connection. All humans need a little bit of approval, just like a, Hey man, good job. Or like, I see what you're doing and it's pretty cool. Or <laughs> you no, know, like I'm happy you exist. Like just the littlest nuggets. We don't need a lot. Um, everyone needs it though. And if you've never gotten any, like, of course you're thirsty for it. Like, of course you really want it. Um, but it does, it, it can I will say start with yourself like you can give that to yourself and change your inner monologue to be something more loving and more affirming and more validating you can teach yourself to shift your awareness to the positives instead of the negatives and and have a more secure way of being and moving through the world it takes time it takes time and it takes a lot of work but it but it is possible um Uh, just an overwhelming feeling that you are different from other people. And that's because you are, you know, I will say that most people have experienced at least a little trauma. So we're all, we're all on the same page as far as like being alive comes with trauma. And if it didn't happen in this life, it happened in a past life. So like we all carry wounds, everybody's hurting, everybody is going to experience loss in their life everyone is going to experience sickness. Everyone is going to experience struggle in one way or another. Um, being alive is painful and that's like a universal experience. So you, you're not that different, you know, if you feel like a, like a space alien, um, sure. (laughs) And trauma does make you different, you know, like, You're more scared than others. You're more aware of how much life can hurt than others. You have a deeper sadness than others. You have experienced loss to a greater degree. Like you, you know, you don't know safety, you don't know stability, you don't know security, you don't know whatever. Like depending on your specific set of of circumstances, um, for all intents and purposes, you are different. But I will say that in my own life, like, you know, sometimes I see these tweets that are like, you know, my trauma didn't make me who I am. I made me who I am. And it's like, yes, for sure. For sure that. But for me, like, I feel like my going through what I've been through has made me like understand um. How hard life is, and it has it has humbled me it has made me soft it has made me careful it has made me compassionate it has made me patient like seeing the examples set for me by the people I grew up with made sure I went the other way and it, that's not to say I didn't play out some repeating cycles of trauma because I definitely did, but it made me more able to be aware of those things in my own behavior and it made me More susceptible to seeing them and fixing them, and that's why I am the black sheep of my family, and that's why I am the generational trauma breaker. You know, that was a responsibility that I decided to carry to like take on myself. And sure, it wasn't the trauma, it wasn't the abusers, like it was me, but it was also the circumstances, you know as I was talking about earlier, like how I have a hard time relating to people who haven't had that heart of lives, like those people tend to be a little bit more mm, superficial, you know, a little bit less deep, a little bit less interesting to me. Their art doesn't have the weight of the art of someone who has struggled. And, uh, and I think that, I don't know, like, I'm not saying that that justifies what I've been through or I don't know I think that that's a misunderstanding of the sentiment and like I think that personally in my journey I have a lot of gratitude for the things that I've been through because I think it did make me who I am in a lot of ways um I wouldn't be this smart I wouldn't be this self-aware. I wouldn't be this. I mean, I don't. There's no point in even like thinking about who I would have been. I used to carry a lot of anger, you know. I could be so much further in my life if I hadn't been through this. I could, I could have done so much more if we hadn't been so poor. I could have like, I could have done this. I could have done that. It could have been this. Why didn't you do this for me? Why didn't you do that for me? Like if I had had stable parents, yada yada yada. And there, as much as. (laughs) I had to stop doing that. You know, I had to get out of that mentality. I had to get out of that like fantasizing because really there's no telling who I would have been. Maybe I would have been a monster, you know? (laughs) I am here. I am now. I've experienced what I experienced and I can't change it. And so I can't even like entertain who I would have been. (laughs) It did make me who I am because that's what I experienced and your experience shapes you and your response to it dictates who you will become. And this is who I am. And I'm pretty fucking happy with it. Um, you are either super responsible or super irresponsible. So super relate to that. Um, I have fluctuated between the two in my life. So like as a child and a teen, I was super responsible, like hyper perfectionistic, I was sort of being groomed to like take over the role of matriarch in my family when my grandmother passed, which is really fucking wild if you think about it, that like I'm a kid, a literal kid, and everyone is training me and expecting me to be the backbone of the family when the person I'm closest to in it dies. So like everyone was always a little like worried about me worried about the prospect of my grandma dying and like, what would happen to me when that happened that I was going to, Oh, I'm going to have such a hard time with it. And, but also this pressure, you know, that like, who's going to hold us up, who's going to take care of us. So I went to like every jail visit, every rehab, um, (laughs) like what's the word? Like intake appointment. I, showed the fuck up, like multiple family members in and out of rehab and treatment and like mental hospitals and jail and custody hearings. And just, I was there from the time I was little, I was there. I was like always just my grandma, just talking at me a little sponge, soaking up all the deep, dark secrets of my family and just getting prepared to like take care of everything. I mean, I remember one of my aunts tried to get me to try to like sign over her kids to me in the event that something happened to her. And I was like 22. I was like, no, no, like in no world (laughs) is that going to happen. It's not okay. That's like a lot to ask of a person of someone who's like just starting out their lives. And so I was really conditioned to be hyper responsible. And so when I broke, when like something in my brain snapped, I went totally the other direction and I was just like, I mean, I'm still having to put the pieces of my life back together. And as far as like not being able to hold a job for more than a couple of years, like not being able to take care of myself, not being able to like, and this is also has to do with like resources and like, did I have health insurance? Did I not have health insurance? Like, did I have a steady income? You know, just like there's a lot uh, chronic illness, autism, being too traumatized to like navigate the world. Like there's a lot, uh, of things like contributing to this sort of irresponsibility, but I'm still having to learn it. I don't, I didn't know how to schedule myself. I didn't know how to be organized. I didn't know how to be an adult at all. I had never, ever learned. So I was like, almost, I always would wonder like what happened to me because I was more of an adult, when I was like 17 than I was when I was 27. And like, I just, I was like, what happened? Where did I go wrong? And I just fluctuated to the other extreme. I just was like so tired and so worn down and really had to learn to separate myself from this responsibility that was put on my shoulders that was never mine to carry. And I was so turned off and like overwhelmed by the feeling of any responsibility, that I avoided it. So I would like turn down promotions, turn down any kind of leadership roles. I just wanted to do the bare minimum and go home and get in bed and watch TV. Like just <laughs> could not handle life. And so I think that you can embody either of these at different times in your life. Um, and again, like it's okay. Like you're doing it as a means of protecting yourself you're doing it as a means of like feeling better you're doing it because you what you need is healing and it's okay it's okay to be scared it's okay to be overwhelmed it's okay to be hurting it's okay to not want responsibility and if you have an aversion to it maybe it's because too much was put on you you know maybe you were an adult too soon which goes back to that not knowing how to have fun thing, you know, like I was so responsible as a kid. I was always, I was literally raising children when I was, you know, three, four years old, like it's too much responsibility. And that's why I don't want to have kids now because like, I feel like I've been raising kids since I was two and a half years old and I've done my time. I don't want to do it. I want to just like chill (laughs) and that's okay. You know, that's the secret to my happiness. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just something to keep in mind, you know, responsibility can be a beautiful thing. It can be a healing thing, especially if you're giving yourself the stability that you never had. It can You can really take care of yourself and take care of your inner child, and it can be healing in ways that, like, seem miraculous, um, but just something to notice. This one is huge, so huge that I'm going to do its own episode, but you are extremely loyal even in the face of evidence that the loyalty is undeserved um huge like fucking huge this is extreme codependence this is having that ride or die mentality and talking about like the cult mentality of toxic families and how like you defend your family no matter what you protect your family no matter what like you don't ever go against the family your responsibility is the family blood is thicker than water you don't let anyone get in the way like just (laughs) it sets you up and it, it really romanticizes the toxicity and like this idea of like no matter how much we hurt each other no matter how bad things get like this is your home. This is where you belong. And like, you can't get away from it. And you can't, you can't do better than it. And that in fact, this is love, you know, sticking it out, no matter what is love, giving of yourself, no matter how little you have to give is love. Like that self sacrifice is love. That ride or die mentality is love. That toxic loyalty is a positive character trait. And this is all stuff I've been through. Um, I definitely like talk about limerence. Like this is the early seeds of limerence. This is like loving someone who does not love you back in childhood, setting yourself up to live that kind of existence for the rest of your life for confusing like my love. Like this is what I think about with the, the person that I was limerent on for a decade. Like this is the conclusion I came to is that my love is real my love was real. The connection that we had in my own mind wasn't, you know, (laughs) like his love for me was non-existent. Um, at least in the way I wanted, my love was real. And you know, like (laughs) that's the only way I can like reconcile it without it really hurting my feelings or making me feel absolutely insane is that, that I've just been conditioned to, to do one-sided love. I've just been conditioned to give my all, to be super loyal, to stay and stay and stay no matter what, um, to be there, to show up, to do the work, to be the support system, to take the care of everyone and have no one show up for me. Like to not even have my feelings validated, to not even have a thank you thrown my way, to not even like, have anyone be like, you know what? That was a little unfair. Like, just no acknowledgement, <laughs> no appreciation. And that's how I was conditioned to be. And in my life, in all of my most toxic relationships, my loyalty has been praised and celebrated. And, like, and it was a point of pride in myself. It truly romanticized, like Bonnie and Clyde, you know. <laughs> bullshit like true romance anyone who loves the movie true romance i used to you know this is no shade that i am not also throwing on myself red flag like if you love the movie true romance and you're like that's how our love is it's like huge red flag glaring neon red flag ride or die is not it because like you shouldn't have to work that hard like you should just love each other. I mean, all my relationships now, there is no toxic loyalty. Like, I don't feel like I'm fighting for anything. I just show up and we have a lovely conversation. Like, it's really no more dramatic or chaotic than that. Um, so I'm going to do it's that in a separate episode about that specific thing. Because I think people who uh, are codependent really struggle with that. And then finally, um, impulsivity. So you tend to lock yourself into a course of action without giving serious consideration to alternative behaviors or possible consequences. This impulsivity leads to confusion, self-loathing, and loss of control over your environment. In addition, you spend an excessive amount of energy cleaning up the mess. So this is like diving into relationships. For me, quitting jobs. Just like quitting jobs because they trigger me too much and just being like, I can't take it anymore and then I quit and then it's like, oh, now I have no money. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, some of my best decisions have come from this impulsivity, like moving into my truck and traveling for months. Um... It's one of the greatest experiences of my life, but it would have been more sustainable if I had planned, if I had like considered, if I had gotten rid of the proper amount of stuff, if I had made sure my income was stable, if I had gone by myself the way I planned to instead of bringing someone along with me and supporting them the whole time, if I had planned a route, if I had considered that, you know, um, (laughs) middle America in may is tornado time and that's not a good time to be living outside you know just like there I could have done it more carefully I could have done it with more awareness I could have done it with more consciousness and forethought and it I could have kept doing it much longer but I had to pull the plug because I didn't think about anything and I just fucking went for it and it was so hard and so scary sometimes and really just difficult on many levels but it was also one of the best experiences of my life so <laughs> you win some you lose some um but definitely rushing into relationships rushing into life decisions um, not thinking things all the way through. Yes. Being locked into a course of action because I made an impulsive decision and then not being able to like get out of it and having to ride it out and then having to clean up the mess of the fallout after it happened. Like, yes, yes, yes. Really resonates. And this episode is getting a little long, so I'm going to wrap it up soon. But (laughs) if you're on this course of action, just know it's going to be okay. Okay that no experience is wasted that I believe you don't have to believe it, but I believe that everything happens for a reason, that every experience I've ever had has just given me another tool for my tool belt. If life is a video game, if you like that concept, go listen to my episode, The Matrix. I talk all about that how life is the video is a video game. <laughs> you're just you meet with NPCs, they give you a tool, they give you a prize, they give you some money, whatever, and you move on to the next thing with like, more tools in your tool belt with more resources that you have within yourself to access with more resilience with more hopefully self-confidence with um just feeling a little bit more capable you know that's what life is about you're a work in progress you are being sculpted into your greatest self every day and you might never achieve it in your lifetime (laughs) because there is no finish line And what you don't do in this life, you do in the next. (laughs) And forever and ever, amen. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So just chill out. Do better next time. You know, it's just a learning process. And if you're learning, you're doing the best you can. And that's all the time I have for today. Just some quick administrative stuff. I will be taking next week off. So part two of this two-parter episode will air in two weeks so don't forget about it subscribe get the little notifications for when I post it so that you don't miss it I love you so much I'll talk to you soon I'll miss you in the meantime the walk-on podcast is a production of walk-on productions it is written recorded hosted produced and marketed by yours truly That's right, folks, it's a one-person dog-and-pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit-Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast podcast my two youtube channels the walk on podcast youtube channel and my personal youtube channel that features my poetry and music you can access the album shiny silver snakes that i made with my good friend Lokomoko. you can find mantra the ep that walk on the theme song to this podcast is part of and you can find flight of the final girl which is my debut poetry collection There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with the swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology and you can also access my self-love course which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself there are journal prompts guided meditations self-care rituals letter writing assignments and a whole lot more Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time, bye.